store i feel like a kid who is opening up my christmas presents or waking up on christmas morning running from my bedroom to the living room and seeing all the presents under the tree it's the casey's corner podcast here on lafouchegazette.com this is our first episode in what feels like forever i'm going to explain why that is in a couple of minutes we've got a jam-packed welcome back show coming your way in the next hour or so we're going to have south lafouche baseball player graduated senior leadoff batter second baseman third baseman shortstop whatever the heck coach Gitros needed uh this young man delivered for a team that made it to the quarterfinals and, and hopefully this young man will get a spot to play at the next level that's miles mathern he will be on in the next segment to talk about all of the wonderful things that went on on the baseball diamond and tarpon land then we're going to have a local treasure hunter yes a treasure hunter <laughs> um that'll be andre brunet rattlesnake dre will be on with us to talk about how he got into the hobby of metal detecting some of the amazing things that he has found some of the wonderful things that he has seen and uh, he's got so many adventures to tell you guys about and we're looking forward to having Andre on at the back end of the show. And then after that, we'll also talk some sports and everything. So you guys are probably wondering, you know, hey, man, we haven't heard from you in a while. You know, what's been going on? Um, so I'm going to spend the entirety of this first segment giving you guys a rundown of where we went, um, what was going on during the break and why we decided to come back and record episodes. So all the way back in the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, I had just, you know, gotten comfortable in my position with the Lafouche Gazette and things were going well and the pandemic hit and um, I was inundated with all of these questions. Uh, You know, people were asking me questions about hey is it safe to do this can i do that you know is there a curfew and you know also sending me questions you know quelling misinformation and you know just all the different things that i've been inundated with and it became overwhelming you know to have to answer 50 60 70 facebook messages a day oftentimes from people that i didn't know oftentimes about questions that I didn't know the answers to, which was adding more work onto my plate. And, you know, look, look if, if you were one of the ones that were relying on me through direct messaging for information, I'm not faulting you. I'm not saying that you were wrong and coming to me or anything. I'm just saying the totality of it and the sum of it all was very overwhelming, which led to me developing the idea of, well, you know, why don't I just answer all of their questions at once? So that's what led to the formation of this podcast, which I already had the name. Casey's Corner had been the name of my column over at that other newspaper that shall remain nameless uh, um, for years. That had been the name of my column. So let's just, you know, roll together the name. Let's start a podcast. Let's answer COVID questions and 
have on guests and shit, you know, while we're doing it, let's, you know, maybe even have a little bit of fun too and everything of this sort. And so we, we, we launched, you know, I was recording two times a week and it was fun and the coaches were looking forward to talking to me and, you know, we were getting an audience and we've got a five star rating on the, in the iTunes library and, and life was great for the Casey's Corner podcast and for the audience of the Casey's Corner podcast. We had on uh, professional athletes. We had on tons of coaches. We had on college coaches. We had on a professional eater. Uh, we had on the parish president. We had on the, the Lafouche school superintendent. We were covering the area pretty damn well, and it was something that we were very proud of, and, and the community was really starting to buy in. Um, but then some things happened. Um, we became almost too successful. I'm trying to sound not sound like uh, President Trump whenever I say that to you. We became too successful. You know, no, I'm not trying to pat my back or you know stroke my own ego or anything of that sort. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what I'm getting at is we started to sell commercial sponsorships. We started to you know, have people who are buying spots on the show, which is cool. I'm not, you know, hating on that. Um, and there then started to be deadlines and things that had to be met. And I started this as a way to vent, as a way to de-stress, as a way to release energy after um, you know, long days and scary times and uncertain times in our world. And then when all these things started to happen, this podcast just didn't feel like fun anymore for me. It started to feel like an extension of my job. It started to feel like work and it started to feel like I was working 24 hours a day, seven days a week without break because this was something that I started and that I was doing on my own time. And while I was doing it for work, um, it didn't feel like part of my job. It felt like a release space, a safe space, a place where I could go and say whatever I wanted to say and within reason, of course, and, you know, vent. And whenever it became work, it, it, it just wasn't fun recording anymore. It wasn't fun doing the last couple of episodes that we did. In fact, I dreaded doing that, but those last couple of episodes that we did, I was finding ways to push back the release of those last few episodes that we did as best as we could. Um, it just wasn't a great time. And to top all that off, um, last fall, I was dealing with some personal stuff. Um, that I could open up and that I could kind of share with you guys. Um, dealing with uh, anxiety issues, uh, dealing with uh, just and look, this is not any, this is not because of any one thing. You know, I have a great job, I have a great family, I have great friends. My grandma was sick, um, and she eventually passed away. Uh, the world was closed down. Um, the anxiety of having to be a radio voice for a high school football season that was just as backwards in every single way with games being canceled and postponed and COVID stoppages and 
have to wear your mask at all times. And I got, you know, mom and a dad that are in their 60s and both of them have pre-diagnosed conditions. And I'm having to leave the house during lockdown to go call high school football games in stadiums full of people who are blatantly not following the rules. Um, It was stressful as hell for me. It was stressful as hell for me because I was so terrified to contract COVID at a game or on an assignment somewhere, bring it home and potentially, you know, uh, infect my mom or my dad. And then it'd be the last time that I got a chance to see him. I, I was scared to death. So those fears put anxiety into me already and put me on edge and losing my grandma and you know the tensions of you know this turning into work whenever it was supposed to be released and all of those things wrapped into a bow I started to resent this podcast I started to not like recording anymore and I decided to just put it on the shelf for a little while Um, all the plan was always to start recording again didn't realize the break would be as long as it was, and I apologize sincerely to the fans who like our content and who are looking to us for more content. I apologize. We're going to be more regular in the future. First things first, I myself am in a better place mentally now than what I was before. I have you know, gotten myself in a position with my spiritual health, my mental health, my faith is better than it was before. Um, I'm happier now than I was then. I'm less, uh, you know, tense than I was then. And I think that we're going to be able to do this, pull this off, um, and, and do wonderful things. The inspiration for starting to record again now, I got to give a shout out to <clears throat> Ross, Jeray, Luke, Brennan, all the people with uh, Bless Your Heart, the nonprofit. They recently launched a a podcast, and whenever I saw that they were launching, I said to myself, I said, you know, we're in an interesting time in our community, Um, and I'm in an age now, I'm 33, I'm going to be turning 34 in less than a month. Uh, My generation is the generation that's got to start leading, and I look at the work that we've done in the last year. And I think that people have really enjoyed and appreciated that work. And I look at the work that <clears throat> Jure and Ross and Luke and you know everybody, a part of Bless Your Heart, and the things that they've done during storms, during the pandemic, during any time our community has needed anything, they have been there. I'm so proud of them. Love you guys so much. You guys have done so much for our community. And whenever they made their decision to launch their podcast, I looked at it from afar and said, we've got an opportunity here to really grab control of the message that our community is sending out. And I know they're going to do a tremendous job of telling the stories of some of the amazing people in our area. I want to do a tremendous job to piggyback off of them of promoting some of the coaching and you know, the coaches and teams and athletes in our area. And I just thought it was an opportunity to really provide a lot of entertainment, a lot of, um, you know, pro Lafouche 
support at a time where we need it the most because our community is kind of at a crossroads um, with some of the just asinine regulations on the oil and gas industry and some of the different things that are causing people stress and um, we need it. We need someone to love on us for a while and I know they're going to do a great job and it inspired me to hop back in the saddle and, and do what we do here. So here we are. Um, we're going to change the format a little bit. Uh, one of the things that would become tedious or burdensome in, in you know previous shows is that I was getting to recording two plus hours, three hour shows. That ain't happening no more. We're going to stick the format very basic. It's going to be an intro segment talking about sports, you know, talking about whatever's on my mind in the world. Uh, two coaching guests or athletes or whatever type of guests, interesting people. They're going to go about 15, 20 minutes each. Then I'm going to wrap up at the end talking some sports or whatever it may be. Today's show is going to be a little bit different because I felt I owed you all the explanation. So I'm not going to talk any sports in this first segment. I'm going to save all that for the back end of the show. Then we're going to have Miles on. Then we're going to have Andre on. Then I'm going to close out talking about pulmonary. I'm going to close out talking about the NBA playoffs and all the different things that are on my mind in the world of sports. But I just felt I owed you all the explanation of, of where we went and where we're going. And I'm so blessed to be here. So thankful for the opportunities that lie ahead. <laughs> and we truly look forward to just having a bunch of fun. I'm in a better place than what I was then. And uh, we're going to um, just look forward to having so much fun. So let's go ahead and do this. We're going to take a quick break. Thank you guys so much for being patient. Thank you guys so much for the well wishes. I know I got a lot of messages from people during the extended break. Hey, are you going to bring the podcast back? You know, we, we miss it. Thanks so much for that support. <clears throat> We're back. We're in a better place. And the message that I could tell you guys from the time away, um, no matter what you're doing, um, you got to take time to love yourself. You've got to take time to tend to yourself and you've got to take time to be um, active and, and, and around the people that you care about in a positive way. I had kind of abandoned some of those principles and it kind of bit me a little bit, but we're doing much, much better now. We plan to stay on that right train and continue to rock and roll. So quick pause. We're going to catch a break when we get back. Miles Mathern, I'm so excited to talk to Miles. Miles is a good dude. One hell of a baseball player. He was the leadoff batter for a Tarpon baseball team that made it all the way to the quarterfinals. It was so much fun calling those games. So much fun following that team all the way to Tioga. So Miles Mathern, out of this break, it's the sport. Listen to me. It's not the sports corner. I just did the sports corner this morning. It's the Casey's Corner podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com with an outstanding young man and an outstanding baseball player out of this break on LaFoucheGazette.com. And while we've got this little bit of a pause, I want to remind you guys that the Lafouche Gazette is the place to find local news. It's the place to find local sports. It's the place to find anything that's happening in our community. Uh, we've got things happening daily. On Monday, we've got Back in the Day presented by Golden Motors. On Wednesday, we've got Way Back Wednesday where we take a yearbook from our years past and we spotlight all the familiar faces and all the familiar places. Our Player of the Week comes out on Thursday. Over the weekend, we've got our Weekend Warriors, and we've got so much going on. It's LaFoucheGazette.com. Our viewership numbers are through the roof. We're looking at a 
May, where we're going to have 1.5 million page views. Thank you all, LaFouche, so much for buying in. Everything is happening at LaFoucheGazette.com. Please go there today and subscribe and get our app and everything in between. Thank you so much for the support. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, graduated senior South LaFouche High School baseball player, Miles Mathern. Milo, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Mr. Jisclair. How are you doing? Doing great, buddy. Um, we are talking to you because you guys are just off of just an exceptional baseball season down the bayou. Talk about the way that that season went down, and, and I know it had to be just so, so much fun. Give us a rundown of how everything went over in, in uh, Tarpon Land. Yeah, no doubt, man. And look, you guys were uh, dealing with the coronavirus a little bit in this season, but the year before, you lost your junior season. You guys were off to a great start, and I know, you know, so many student athletes tell me about how difficult that was. So run me through that, man. You were a junior, y'all were playing some good ball, and then you lose your year in the middle of the year, and then don't have an off season or anything of that sort. What was that like mentally as a ball player? Yeah, it was very, very difficult. I mean, the people that I played with, their senior year that they lost, I've been playing with them all, my whole life, and I had, we all had that chemistry, and we knew where we wanted to be, but it sucked that to be shut down. And then this this year, we missed a year, so there, there was no more no leadership so we seniors had to step up and be vocally and having everybody locked in every game of the season yeah there's no doubt about that now you guys get into the season and um it's a little bit of a struggle at the beginning you know you you take some difficult losses to some teams that you guys thought that y'all should have probably beaten and then you go play in that tournament out in the city and get kind of roughed up a little bit and coach Guitros told me look, we needed that slow start to kind of refocus and to recollect, and you were one of the seniors in the locker room seeing it all go down. What changed? Where did that kind of light bulb go off, and what turned around with your season? Well, I mean, we all had our people together, and once we lost those few games, you need to think, man, what did we do wrong, and how can we get better from that? And it's all about losing, and then you can come back whenever and punch it back right in the face. And I guess that just turned us around and got us hot-headed and wanted us to compete and win more. So what's it like, dude? Because you're a senior. You've got all this pressure because the community wants you guys to be good. And you got all this talent. And you're going to school. And it's difficult because some days you're going to school. Some days you're not. And you got to wear a mask. And everything is different. And like you've got so many things distracting you from actually playing baseball. I'm sure this year just had to just be just wild. Yes, very. I mean, it's everybody's going through it, but I mean, we all did the same and we got through it together. Very good. And you get into district play and lose the opener, and then are down four or five runs in the second game, almost fall zero and two. 
But, you, you, you know, we get that win against Vanderbilt and then just get hot and don't lose another district game and end up winning a share of the district championship. Down the stretch, man, you guys were rocking and rolling and playing some great baseball, weren't you? Yes, we were. We all had it. We all bought in, even the people that were playing on the bench. Everybody was locked in, and all of our starters gave us a hell of a ride. Very good. And, look, one of the things that I got to commend the Tarpon team was, and you touched on it a minute ago, is every single person who was dressed up, or dressed out, rather, played a role. And be it you guys who were in the one through nine, or be it the guys that are in the dugout. I was in the dugout for the Berwick game the last game of the year. It was like a party in there, man. And as a ball player, that's got to fire you up hearing all that noise. And, and you know, that it was like a college atmosphere, man. Yeah, when you have an atmosphere like that, I mean, it's hard to be down in the dugout. You're always cheering on your buddies to do good and try to win the game. And it's all about having fun and being with your brothers. How long have you played baseball, Milo? I know it's been a long journey for you. When did you first pick up the bat? And, and you know, just give us a rundown of what little bitty, you know, five- and six-year-old Milo, uh, what, what did you like about the game then and what do you like about the game now? Oh, I've been playing since I was probably six years old. I mean, just running around with a ball and a bat in my hand and playing with the people that I still play with or I just finished with. I mean, it's been fun. I mean, baseball is a game of failure, and... It's, no sport is better than baseball to always have to reflect and try to get better on. You played all over the diamond. You played some second base. You played some shortstop. played some third base. I'm sure if Coach Guitro sort of told you to go play in the outfield, you could have did that as well. Um, what position did you like the best? And, what def- and, and then the piggyback of that is, what position defensively do you think you're the best at? Uh, the one I like the best is probably short. I mean, I like to be the leader of the infield, leader of the team, and I feel like shortstop would be the best way to showcase your leadership. And, I mean, the best I probably did this year was probably second. I mean, it's just wherever my team needed me. And I tried not to mess up and, you know, just pick myself up, pick up my team wherever they fall and just try to be the best. Yeah, no doubt. And you were also the leadoff batter offensively, and, and Coach Guitro said so many times, like, look, you were uh, one of the guys who set the tone. And even if the first at-bat of the game was, you know, an at-bat where you recorded an out, you were still trying to work seven, eight pitches and, you know, really try to showcase to your dugout what this other pitcher brought. And talk about that mentality of being that leadoff guy and trying to, you know, set the tone right away for what this game's going to be like. Yeah, being a, being a leadoff, you know, you try to see as many pitches as you can get so you can go tell your teammates what, what the pitcher got and prepare them before they take their at-bat. My mentality is to see the most pitches, but also to get on base and try to hit the ball hard so I can start a rally up and get everybody pumped up. First-round playoff game, you're taking on Salmon, and you guys take care of business right away, get an easy win. But the thing that stood out to me is uh, going driving up to the park that afternoon, it was – just a couple of days before or after the governor lifted some restrictions, so there was no more seating capacity, and the crowd was just huge. Whenever you take the field for a game like that, that's got to give you a free sauce, man, to just see that literally the whole community's here watching you play. Oh, yeah, I'm getting that free sauce right now just thinking about it. Uh, yeah, just pulling up, and you see all those fans that care about you, the team, and the community. It means so much just to go out there and play in front of your family, your friends, and everybody. 
And, I mean, it was, it was probably the best thing I ever witnessed just being there. You move to the next round and take on Brobridge, and you guys take care of business in game one and then have a just a gutsy game in game two where you, you scratch one out there. Uh, when you guys you know punched that ticket into the quarterfinals, I'm sure you guys were very excited. Talk us about talk to us about that Bro Bridge series a little bit. Oh, uh, we knew Bro Bro Bridge beat us in the beginning of the season, but we knew we were a different team. They were going to be a different team, but it's whoever wanted it more. We were scrappier. We were better coached. I found, and then we just played like we should have been playing all season, and it all came together. And we felt we were the hottest team that 4A could have had. We load up the caravan. We head to central Louisiana, go to Tioga, and that was so much fun. I know the result wasn't what it ended up needing to be for the, for the perspective of the Tarpons, but facing the number one team in the state, and again, and, and again, it again, gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I'm sure it does the same for you. You're traveling three hours across the state, and we had probably more fans there than the home number one team in the state had. That's going to be something that I'm sure you're never going to forget for the rest of your life. No, I won't. I remember walking into the field and seeing everybody coming up with those blow-up things that you clap with, and, and everybody just all into the game once the game started. I mean, we took we took the top. I, got, I let off with a base hit, and we just went from there. There, I hit a boom shot over the scoreboard, and that was we thought we had it in the bag. But I mean, one inning killed us, and things just led to the next. Yeah, and. Talk me through that. Look, you're facing an Ole Miss signee, a college arm, and you tattooed a ball right up the middle to start the game. I'm sure that as you're heading down the first base, you must have been pretty jacked up. Oh, was I? <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just thinking about it, the facing an Ole Miss commit, you facing a college person that would be facing the LSU Tigers, and the team that you grew up playing with or watching your whole life, and you're like, oh, look, this dude's going to be pitching for against them later in the years, and I'm getting a base hit. We all getting base hits off of them, and we're like, holy moly, we can go play D1 too if we can, huh? So, yeah. I mean, it was just it was just a great experience, and just loved this horse. We played super well in game two, come up a little bit short, lose by a run. Um, I know that that was a very painful afternoon as you guys wanted so desperately to find a way to push past those guys. Whenever it was all going down and those final outs were being made. I know it was very emotional. Talk me through some of the things that were going on in your head. Uh, before that, both games, we had them. They were shook. I mean, we sure. came, they thought they were going to come run to us and, we were, and they were just going to lay a beating on us. But the team from down here, we all have heart. We all play to the end and we don't give up. And that second, that second game, we played exceptional defense. Our pitching was good. Our defense was great. We just could not hit the ball. I mean, if we would have had the first game hitting, I mean, we would have forced the game three. We would have did something. But, yeah. And uh, once, I mean, just thinking about it again, just going through the seventh inning and seeing Matty Eyes just hit one to the right field. Thought it would land, but right to him. And, I mean, just thinking about it, that could have been my last time playing with my brothers. And it was just a tough feeling. I'm sure it was. And, and talk me through that bond that you had with Matt Jalbert and Austin Zach and then old Tom Purr out there. It was a small senior group, but it was a very tight-knit senior group. And talk me through what those those other seniors on the club mean to you. Oh, 
uh, we've been playing all together through our whole years. And, I mean, I couldn't ask our best senior group. We all had enthusiasm. We all had F, but we all had the mentality that, then we could be the best team that walked through South Hoosh. And, I mean, it's just a great name that we wrote for the Torpins and how we play for each other. And it was just a couldn't ask for anything better. No doubt, dude. And, look, you had an opportunity last weekend to play at the high school all-star game put on by Terrebonne General and got a knock in the game and played well and Team LaFouche got a win. And what was that experience like? You know, the guys that you've been facing all year long, now your teammates with, I'm sure that had to be pretty fun. Oh, yeah. I've been playing against those people since I was probably eight years old and just competing with them. It was, it was fun and all seeing us together for probably one last time. It was just a blast. And thank God uh, LaFouche got a win. It's been a couple years. Yeah, man. So, Talk me through this, dude. Like, you, you had an older brother who you saw go up through the program, and he was a starter and everything like that. Like, being that little guy who was in sixth or seventh grade and seeing, you know, Marcus go through that, and, like, did you think that helped you a little bit because he kind of knew what to expect? Oh, uh, yes, I did. Ever, ever since, I guess, All-Stars, I played up with Marcus, Sage, Noah, and then all the seniors that graduated last year. And, I mean... They held me up to it. I mean, I know I had more experience. And, I mean, I guess it was better for me to play up. And it just showed at the end. And, I mean, yes, it was very devastating that the seniors last year didn't have a a great season because I know know we would have. But And then Marcus and all, he's been my mentor and my brother ever since. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt, dude. So... Last thing I got for you is is what are the future plans? I know it's kind of a little bit up in the air. You're trying to play college ball. Do you have any leads? And then the the next part to that question is, if you know if there's not going to be you know baseball, or whatever it is, what are you going to try to do as a career? What are you trying to study? Uh, uh, I mean, I'd love to play baseball, but if God has different plans for me, I mean, I'll, I'll attend Nichols and study allied health and try to be a chiropractic and just try to have fun with my four years of college yeah very good well look dude we thank you so much for the time it's been a pleasure watching you play and uh have a great summer buddy oh thank you y'all too you got it so we thank miles for his time um i just a great kid a great competitor um plays the right way uh just was such a consummate senior leader all the tarpon seniors were great this year um Miles was a great leadoff batter, a great defender, would do anything that Coach Guitros told him to do. If Coach Guitros told him, Miles, go run through the the fence behind home plate, he would have tried the best that he could to do so. I know that with COVID, it's extremely difficult for high school seniors to get spots at the next level because you know college seniors are being granted and eligibility free so they're able to stay which is limiting numbers and that's making it difficult for guys like miles to find spots at the next level but i so hope somebody takes a chance on this guy um he's a good player good guy he's going to bring something to your locker room and i would love nothing more than to be covering a scholarship signing over at south lafouche in the coming weeks because miles got an opportunity so let's catch a break when we get back Rattlesnake Dre, a local treasure hunter, does such cool things, has found so much cool stuff 
It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com with a local treasure hunter out of this break. So I want to do something a little bit different during this commercial break. I want to thank all of our amazing teachers, all of our amazing uh, school officials and employees in our Lafouche Parish school system, and all of the people involved, our parents, our students, and everyone involved in allowing our last school year to be so successful. It has been amazing to see the things that have been going on in our schools through this extraordinary time in our world. Our teachers are unappreciated or underappreciated, and we can't thank you guys enough. So to our teachers, our administrators, our janitors, our school bus drivers, our students, our parents, our school board members, our school officials, everybody involved, kudos to you all. We tip our cap. At a time in our world where there was so much doubt and so much uncertainty, you pulled it off and you had a great year. Congratulations, LaFouche Schools. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, Andre Brunet, local treasure hunter. He finds all sorts of stuff in all sorts of crazy places. Andre, how are you, man? I'm very good. How are you, buddy? Doing fine, my man. Look, uh, we want to have you on because you have such a unique and interesting hobby and you found so many different artifacts and relics and coins and different things of the sort. Where did you pick this up? How, you know, when did you start this and, you know, what was your, your reasoning behind it? This actually started when I was uh, very young. Um, I was always interested in, in uh, like mysteries and, and history as a young child. And my mom bought me a metal detector when I was 10. And uh, it started in my grandma's backyard. And, um, you know, from there, you know, I was 10 years old. So that grew through the 20 years. And recently in my grandma's backyard, I found a 117-year-old Masonic coin. So uh, it's grown pretty you know pretty pretty slow but in the last five years i've done some really amazing things no that's awesome and we're going to get you to tell the story about the masonic coin in just a second that some what are some of the things that you found i know that you're always putting you know videos of things that you've seen and i know that you've seen history and you know pieces of you know wars and what are some of the coolest pieces you found I found um, I found you know your typical silver coins. I found gold rings. Um, some of the more unique things I found um, I was I stumbled on a couple of Civil War sites where I'll find bullets, um, even whole rifles. I've I've actually found an entire uh, Civil War rifle. And the bad thing about that is when I went to dig it out of the ground, I split it directly in the middle with my shovel. But uh, luckily right where it broke you could see that one of the bullets was still lodged in the gun and that's one of the really cool things about um what i do is not only do i uncover some of these artifacts but uh, there's incredible stories that come with it uh, for example with that rifle that i dug up that was broken in half there were still bullets lodged in inside of the barrel so that leads me to believe that that gun was loaded but never fired and I found that on a battlefield. So that might have been, uh, you know, held in the hand of a soldier that probably didn't make it out of that battle. 
That's incredible, man. And that, that goes along with the next question I was going to ask you is that when you're on, you know, the site of a former battlefield or whatever it may be, do you ever have moments where you just like kind of close your eyes and just try to visualize what it was like 150, 200 years ago, whenever this was actually happening? Because for me, like I'm a storyteller by heart, I would lose myself in that stuff. Yeah, it is, um, you know, it is kind of chilling sometimes because, uh, I mean, 90, 90% of the time I'm out there by myself and, um, you know, you can get pretty far away from, from civilization and, uh, you know, you can't, you, I'm not saying that you see the ghost, but you definitely feel something that's uh, completely different from your day-to-day life when you're out there digging things and when you turn that dirt over and you pick up something that hasn't seen the light um in two, 200 years you know it is it's it's like bone chilling and you know that it's something that's extremely important because if that day you didn't go out there and dig that up it'll probably stay hid for for all of eternity that's that's awesome. And, and what is the what's the oldest uh, thing in your estimation that you found to this point? Uh, probably, I, ha- I have a coin that's from uh, 1804, but I, I have found Native American artifacts that are you know quite possibly thousands of years old. You know, I've found uh, pottery shards and even arrowheads. But with my metal detecting, probably that. That coin, it's a, a Spanish real, it's uh, 1804. That's one of my favorites. But I do have a, a gold ring that I found. Um, couldn't I couldn't make a date, date on it, but when I brought it to experts, they judged it in between 100 and 200 years old. And it's a gold ring with a London blue topaz that my wife has worn on our on our wedding day. So that's, that's really important to me, and that's probably one of my favorite finds. That's awesome. And to be good at this, I mean, I know you need to have equipment, but it's also a skill, too. I mean, there's a reason why you're finding all this stuff and other people are not. What is it that makes you so good at this, you think? So whatever I put on um, Facebook is the only parts that I really want the public to see. The key to being a great treasure hunter is absolutely 100 percent determination. I do not put all the beer cans and uh, the beer tops I find. I only put the good stuff. So if if you're interested in this hobby and you want to really get into this, prepare yourself because you will dig up, uh, you know, a hundred beer cans before you dig up one really good thing. But, but it definitely outweighs itself, you know, like after you dig up those hundred items you don't want that that one coin that you dig up definitely makes up for it yeah there's no doubt man and i know that you've done a lot of stuff here have you done some some searching outside of the area i guess give us a you know rundown of of your travels with this so i have um i've taken my equipment on vacation before um my wife kind of she got used to it by now that every time we plan a vacation there has to be some type of aspect of treasure hunting in all of it. So I'm really grateful that she's kind enough to let me do that. But I've actually metal detected from Tennessee, uh, basically all the way down to the tip of Florida. And I've, I've been successful 
uh, um, in Tennessee, I found Civil War artifacts. And down to Florida, I found rings and jewelry. And she enjoys that part because she gets to keep the rings and wear them. So she's not that... Uh, <laughs> She's not that bummed whenever I have to go out treasure hunting. No doubt. And, and are there certain um, like types of things that you're most interested in finding? Or is there certain areas that you prefer to be in over others? Like, Give us a rundown of that. So I've, I've found rings before. I've returned rings that people have lost. You know, and I find I've found jewelry. Um, I've even found some um I found a rosary with a crucifix on it. But I have to say, out of all the jewelry I find, I prefer to find things that have stories attached to them. So um, finding a diamond ring is really cool, but if there's no story behind it, uh, it's just not as important as finding a Civil War bullet that had been fired from, from a musket or finding a coin that has traveled from halfway around the world and ended up along by Lafouche. You know, and I've learned through treasure hunting because when I started, it was definitely about finding gold and silver. And nowadays it's it's evolved to a point where I'm just looking for these stories because that's what really drives me and that's what really makes me uh, get out there. It's because I wanna I wanna explain to the world and tell the world through social media all these different parts of history that are lost and without me and my metal detector and uh, my determination, uh, they'll never be told. And I, if I'm not mistaken, you've done some things underwater and things of that sort. Like, what's that? What's that like? Yeah. Um, so about three years ago, my wife uh, upgraded my equipment. So uh, I now swing about uh, two thousand dollars worth of equipment. Um, and the machine I have is submergible. I can go about 15 foot underwater. And, um, so I can go in the surf and not have to worry. Or if I want to go in the creeks or dive, you know, a couple feet underwater. And that's just to find the things that are, uh, just a little bit harder to find, you know? Um, I've, I've sometimes I find stuff laying right on top of the ground, uh, but some of the really important things are lost uh, where it's a little bit more difficult for people to find. And uh, metal detector in the creeks in Mississippi and, and, and things like this will, uh, you know, unveil a couple of mysteries because every time those Civil War soldiers had to pass a creek, they were losing stuff. And sometimes it sits there for 200 years waiting for uh, Rattlesnake Dre to come along and pick it up. So I got to ask you this, and it's kind of an awkward question, so I apologize in advance. Did you ever find something that you weren't expecting to find, bones or anything of that sort? Um, so most of the time when I do podcasts or I tell these stories, I, I don't bring it up unless I am asked. But uh, there was uh, one occasion uh, I was digging on a battlefield, and I had noticed the bone shards on top of the ground because it was a freshly plowed field. And um, I was digging Civil War bullets, and I dug about 200 on this site because there was there was well over 200 men that got killed in that field, both Confederate and Union. And um, I flipped a patch of dirt over, and I um, thought I saw an artifact, and when I picked it up, uh, it turned out to be a human tooth. So I quickly placed it back in the hole, buried it, said a small prayer, and I left that, <laughs> I called it a day. 
Um, you know, I have enough creepy stuff in my room that I don't need to be bringing home anything that'll, you know, bring bad spirits back home to my my house. But that was probably one of the most intense things that I've ever dug. Yeah, I know that that's crazy, man. That's chilling, and especially as we're recording this on Memorial Day weekend, you know, it's it's, it's just crazy to to, to think. Uh, um, so you said that you recently found something that was awesome and it was you know, ironic because it was in the place that you started doing all this. You found a coin that was more than 100 years old. I know that you've got a big old story to tell about, you know, returning that and everything of the sort. So, so get laid on us. What, what, tell us about the Masonic coin that you found. <clears throat> so the story of the Masonic coin, and it, it, I, I didn't even realize until I was talking to you just now, but the very first time I ever swung a metal detector was in my grandmother's yard and uh, leading up to this point, which is, you know, 20 years later. Um, unfortunately, my grandpa passed away about uh, two weeks ago. So a lot of my family had came down uh, all over. From, they were from all over the country, some are in the military. And um, I had took them out actually in Thibodeau to do a little treasure hunting and just show them, you know, the ropes. And when we got back to my grandma's house, I was going in a little bit more depth of how my machine works. So we were just messing around in the backyard and I never realized that when I started metal detecting, my first metal detector costed about 60 bucks. The one I have now is closer to $2,000. So it's a super advanced piece of equipment. And this one has a depth range uh, instead of about, you know, three to four inches, this one goes down almost two foot. Um, and while showing some of my cousins how to use the machine, out pops a big green coin. And if you go on my Facebook or YouTube and watch the video, um, I kind of stopped everything because I knew it was pretty important. I could tell by the tarnish on the, the piece of metal that it was extremely old. And the shape of it just started giving me the, the, the jitters. So I called most of my family over, and I actually had a crowd of about 10 people there. So I slowly rubbed the dirt away from the coin, and I saw, I noticed the Masonic symbol, and I've watched Indiana Jones, and I've watched all these different adventure shows, so I knew immediately what the coin was, and, uh, you know, I broke out to cold sweats, you know, because I knew it was super important. I had never dug one of these before, nor have I um, heard of anybody digging one of these before, so immediately uh took my we recorded everything i took the video i posted it on facebook later that day and it uh it skyrocketed had about eight thousand views on it um in a very short amount of time well a day or two passes by and i was contacted by multiple different masons about the coin and they wanted to know well, what was my plans with it so i actually met with one of the first masons that that uh, had messaged me and I had a very good conversation with him. I thought he was an outstanding uh, gentleman. And uh, I agreed to donate it to his uh, society and he was overwhelmed and he was happy. He got back with uh, all the members and they actually invited me to a meal inside their um, temple. And I got to sit down and listen to each one of them talk about uh, the Masons and a lot of it is very secretive. Um, there's some things they told me and some things they couldn't tell me. And, uh, 
it was a very, very unique experience. I don't think a lot of people get to experience what I saw that day. Um, there is some things that, uh, I, you know, I, I felt that day and I saw that day where like, uh, it was very mysterious, but, um, I, I enjoyed myself very, very much. And I think that all the men that I met that day were very outstanding and I'm, I'm actually glad they're in our community. So, um, before the meeting ended, they made me kind of step out of the room and they finished their meeting and did their thing that uh, I was not allowed to see because I'm, I'm not a Mason. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an incredible, it was an incredible event and it was awesome because I got to donate that coin to them and it's going to stay there for all of eternity in their lobby and it's going to hang on the wall and it's going to say found by Andre Bruni a rattlesnake train so yeah look man I'm getting chills hearing you tell the story to know that a literal piece of history was misplaced and now it's going to be back where it belongs that's just got to be just an awesome feeling for you man right and it was uh it was it was dated 1904, so it was it was lost 117 years ago, and the, the little bit of information that they would tell me about it, that uh, it's probably that coin was um, given to someone to pass a message to another Mason, and showing them that coin would allow them to know that uh, that message had to stay true and has to be done so if one mason would give this to a, a normal person or a person that's not a mason they would travel to another mason for that favor and it had to be done from the showing of that coin so um that's that's kind of what what i what i got gathered from what i was told yeah that's cool man so look before we let you go if there's anybody listening to this that says Hey, that's really cool. Um, I would like to try that someday. What would like? What would be some beginner's tips that you would give to somebody who's looking for, you know, a first-time metal detector and trying to, you know, explore this as as a rookie? What would be some things you would tell them? And the first, like, when you if you want to start this hobby, it's very easy. Um, you can buy basically any type of metal detector you want. You can buy something that's really cheap, and you will find stuff. Uh, I suggest going to your local parks. Just make sure you go get permission, and a lot of them allow it. I mean, it's it's a public park, and as long as you leave the park the way you found it, you know, dig a nice little neat hole and bury it back. Um, parks and schoolyards are excellent places to start because they're packed with coins and, and um, different little pieces of, uh, of of history from children. And as we know, children lose a lot of things. So that's kind of where I learned the ropes there, and I slowly moved there to starting getting permissions at plantations and uh, friends and family yards where um, I knew there was a lot of history there. And I, I can basically tell from the landscape, I look at a tree, if that tree is 200 years old, you could almost guess that underneath that tree, you might find some things that are uh, equivalent to that age. Yeah, that's way cool, dude. And look, uh, last thing, I know you're super active on social media, do great things, take great pictures, and you, you keep everybody up to date. Where can we find you, man? You could um, you could find me most active on Facebook. I post a lot of stuff on there. Uh, I also have an Instagram uh, as Rattlesnake Dre. I'm on YouTube as Rattlesnake Dre. Uh, my Facebook is Andre Brunet. I just kept that from the beginning. 
and uh, I'm also on TikTok as Rattlesnake Dre. But if you go and just Google uh, hashtag Rattlesnake Dre, all of the um, all my different social medias come up. But you can find me Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Very good. Well, look, man, thanks so much for the time, and we'll chat again soon, okay? Absolutely. Good talking to you, brother. Yes, sir. I have the literal chills uh, after that interview. I'm a historical buff. I like history and the idea that this dude is pulling stuff out of the ground, and uh, it's literal pieces of history that are hundreds of years old that just... It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Andre does such a great job. Go follow him on Facebook. Go follow him on Instagram. Go follow him on YouTube. And you're going to see a local guy doing some really, really cool stuff that nobody else in the area is doing. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and catch a break, our final break of the show. When we get back, I'll give my thoughts on the world of sports and we'll talk some NBA playoffs. We'll talk Paul Maneri's retirement and all the things going on in the world of sports. Right out of this break, it's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. Hey you. Yeah, you, listener of the Casey's Corner Podcast. I've got a favor to ask. So much of what we do spotlights the wonderful things that are happening in LaFouche Parish. And to be able to give those types of memories and those types of photo galleries and all the wonderful things that we do at our newspaper... It requires the participation of our listeners, of our readers, and of everybody in LaFouche. So I'm asking you today, if you see something cool happening and you're within you know, reach of your phone, snap a pic, send it to me. We're always interested in featuring the wonderful things that are happening in LaFouche Parish, but we need your help. we got a small, limited, community-based staff, and community participation is vital to what we do. So to those who have sent us things, thank you so much. To those who want to know how to send, Email me, JustClaireCasey at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Go LaFouche. very good um, interviews they were very candid very open Um, before we dive into sports just want to talk briefly about the uh, fun that we had covering South Lafouche baseball this past year Um, you know to be it's such a like a dream and a thrill to be the play-by-play radio voice of South Lafouche Athletics. It's something I've wanted to do since I was a very small child listening to Ken Freelander and Tommy Plaisance and Hank Boston and Jeff Boggs and all the guys who have held the position before. It's something I always wanted to do. And, you know, the games are fun whether the Tarpons are strong or not. But this past season to have such a highly competitive team which miles was certainly a big part of it's just a thrill man and and they went so far and have so much to be proud of but the the journey for 2021 may be finished um but man that program has a bright future they you know miles was just one of four seniors so you know they've got so much coming back they've got pretty much all of 
their you know significant innings pitched that are coming back. They've got the heart of their batting order coming back, all the thump and all the power in their batting order coming back. Uh, that's going to be a program that's going to be so fun to watch. And I just wanted to you know shout them out uh, for the amazing ride that they had. It was it was amazing to be a part of it, and I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, you know, at least mention it briefly here to start this sports segment. But we've got a lot of things to talk about leading off with the LSU baseball team found out today that they are going to be in the NCAA tournament. There was some conjecture and some confusion and the Tigers were on the bubble and there were all these concerns about whether or not LSU was going to make it in. But the NCAA selection committee did put LSU into the 64 team field. The Tigers are going to be in the Eugene, Oregon Regional, they're going to be matched up uh, with the LSU's number three seed. They'll be matched up with number two seed Gonzaga in the opening round game. Also in that little miniature four-team double elimination tournament will be Oregon, the host team, the number 14 overall seed. They'll be taking on Central Connecticut, which will be the fourth seed. So it's Oregon, Central Connecticut, LSU, and Gonzaga, the winner of that region. We'll meet the winner of the Tennessee Regional, which features Tennessee, Wright State, Liberty, and Duke. So, not altogether surprised that LSU made it into the NCAA tournament. The bubble was just so soft. There just were not a lot of quality bubble teams. Some of those teams who made the NCAA tournament on the bubble line were barely even above 500 for the year. LSU had a good strength of schedule. They got better as the year went on, and... Uh, so they probably deserve to get in. Now, how far it's going to go, I don't know. But that leads into the bigger topic of conversation, which is this is going to be the final season for LSU baseball coach Paul Maneri, who's announced that he's retiring at the end of the year. How am I going to approach this? How pointed do I want to be about this topic? You know what? It's my first episode back. If I shield and if I, you know, guard myself and if I go too politically correct, that you know, it wouldn't be my style. So let's just tell it like it is, okay? From the perspective of a media member, from the perspective of a reporter, and from a former beat writer and a guy who's actually covered LSU baseball for several seasons back in my earlier college years and that I worked with Paul Maneri and I was at LSU when Paul Maneri was hired, um, it is going to be interesting to not see him as LSU's baseball coach anymore going into the future because to media, he was very welcoming. To media, he was very inviting. And he was a guy that like always had time. Like, that's the one thing that, that I'm going to say about Paul Maneri is that he always had time. Even for a young snapper reporter like me, if I needed something, he was always there, always willing to give you know, me time and give me the opportunity to speak to him. And, you know, for all of those things, I am grateful and I truly, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, hope that coaches' medical issues that are forcing him to walk away get better. Hall of Fame career, um, Great for college baseball. Da 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 da. With that all having been said, LSU is going to be better for it in the future having someone else running their program. It just is what it is. If you go back since 2009, that was the year that Maneri won the national championship. LSU has had just 
two college World Series is that they've actually won a game in. So that's a decade's worth of college World Series, and just two of those did you actually go to Omaha and actually win a game. So that's not acceptable. Since making it to the College World Series and finishing as the runner-up, you have losing in a regional, losing in a super regional. Losing in a regional was in 2018. Losing in a super regional in 2019. Before the pandemic last year, you weren't any good, and you would have been about what you were this year, which is a fringe bubble team if making the tournament at all. And then this year where you're 34 and 22, 13 and 17 in SEC play. Over the last four seasons, you were 500 in SEC play. Ain't good enough. This is an LSU program that once won five national championships in 10 years. And I hear the pro-minary apologist telling me, Oh, but Casey, the sport is not the same. Oh, there's so much more parity now. Oh, things have changed, and you know the, the game is not the same as it was when Skip Bertman was in charge. There are 16 host sites in the NCAA for the NCAA tournament this year. I'm counting them off now. One, two, three, four, five, six of the 16 are hosted by SEC schools. There ain't no parity in college baseball. If there were true parity in college baseball, LSU at 13 and 17 in the SEC would not be in the NCAA tournament. This is a sport that's dominated by the South and the Southeast and the Southwest and the West Coast. The Midwest and the Northeast and the Northwest, they don't hardly even play the sport. They don't invest in the game. This is an LSU program that for eight straight seasons has had top three recruiting classes and they ain't they just ain't getting those results that you would expect to see from a program that's supposedly recruiting this well. I understand some of the gripes with this year's team and some of the complaints and some of the excuses are valid. You're super young. You've had some injuries. Guess what? You're the second youngest team in the SEC. Do you know who the youngest is? Vanderbilt. They're the number four national seed. You could be young and still win if you recruit right. Guess what? You're injured and you're beat up and you got hurt arms. LSU's been injured and beat up and have had hurt arms for as long as I can remember. It's because they're not like this. There's some sort of disconnect there. That's not just bad luck. If it happens in a year or two, yeah, it's bad luck. You're either recruiting damaged goods or you're damaging your goods in the process of what you're doing with them in the four or five years that you have them in the program. That's a program that is investing more money than anyone else in the country is generating more money than anyone else in the country and quite frankly deserves to not be just a maybe contender you're a program that needs to be a definite contender like florida has been doing like vanderbilt has been doing like some of the other pro- tcu has been doing it every year east freaking carolina has been doing it every year it's no excuse that lsu shouldn't be in regional play, strong national seed, you know, punching tickets into Omaha with regularity. And the fact of the matter is that since 2016, you've only been to the College World Series once. Um, that just ain't cutting. And, and, and 12 years since the last time you won the national championship in that program just ain't cutting it. Much the same way that if Kentucky basketball went 12 years without winning a national championship, people would be bickering. Much the same way that if Alabama football went 12 years without winning a national championship, that people would be bickering. 
that's just the level that LSU baseball is on. So we appreciate everything Coach Maneri has done, but this is a decision that if he were not choosing to go away on his own will, it could have just as easily been argued that the the athletic administration on campus could have forced him to you know remove himself from the situation. Now, in terms of who LSU is going to chase, I mean, I, I don't have any insight into that. The reports are that the Tigers want Kevin O'Sullivan, the Florida head coach, but O'Sullivan's making upwards of $1.3 million a year, which is about what LSU pays. He's won multiple national championships at Florida. Why would you leave for about the same amount of pay to stay in the same conference? You know, I don't, I don't see that one necessarily as clearly as some others do. The Tony Vitello fit, Tony Vitello being Tennessee's coach, makes more sense to me. Just in that he's making about three hundred grand at Tennessee, LSU could pay him four or five times that um, comfortably and not break their budget because that's about what they would be paying Maneri now. So that one makes a little bit more sense to me. Um, but I really don't know how this is going to go. I know this that with the money LSU pays, they're going to be able to get somebody who's a name, somebody who's one in the sport big. Like this is not going to be. Uh, situation like in college football where you're hiring, you know, a coordinator or something like that, or, you know, the hot assistant coach, at least I don't think. I think that LSU pays so much more than other programs that you're going to be able to go get a head coach who has won, maybe even in the SEC, um, and who has won at a big level. So we'll be keeping our eyes on that and seeing how this all shakes down. Very briefly, uh, some more baseball talk before we talk about the NBA playoffs. Marcelo Zuna of my Atlanta Braves was arrested for a domestic violence incident at his home in Atlanta. Um, he was allegedly strangling his girlfriend or wife, or yeah, his wife, yeah, not girlfriend. At the time that police arrived, he is on the injured list currently with a broken, two broken fingers. And he's got a broken career now. I mean, um, in a situation where he's facing felony charges. Um, what a dumbass. Like, I don't have any other way to say it but that. Like, you are in the prime of your career, and, like, the only thing that you have to do is show up on time to the ball field every day and not commit crimes. Like, I get it. We're in a society where you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And so for those reasons, I'm a little bit hesitant to be so hard on Marcelo Zuna. But on the other hand, like the cops witnessed him doing it. The police report says that the officers witnessed him having his hands around the throat of his wife at the time of arrival. Um, she had, you know, visible injuries and he did not. And like, I mean, it is what it is. He, I'm sure being his status as a professional athlete, he's going to be able to plead down into some sort of lesser charge and he's going to probably avoid prison time and felony charges and whatever it may be and heck given our landscape in professional sports and some of the things that we've seen with you know Ray Rice hardly getting any suspension and Araldus Chapman you know having similar incidents and he's back on the playing field like I'm sure he'll even be back but like his entire the entire scope of the rest of his career is now changed because he couldn't avoid being an idiot and that's just mind-boggling to me is that you have all this talent in the world and just so little character to go with it. 
it, it, it's a shame. People are looking up to that guy, and he was supposed to be this warm, fuzzy guy. You know, oh, he make he, you know, uh, takes selfies after he hits home runs. And, nah, man, you're phony. And and I hope. And this is again, this is a guy speaking who's an Atlanta Braves fan. I hope the Atlanta Braves release him. I hope he's no longer a part of the organization. It's bush league. What he allegedly did was seen doing by you know police witnesses. There's no room in society for that. There's certainly no room in professional athletics for that. And it's a damn shame that the Atlanta Braves are going to be on the hook for a $60 million contract that they have you know, paid out to a hoodlum because apparently there's no clauses that will allow them to get out of this deal even though he's facing felony charges. That's a damn shame. Players have too much um, power over that sort of thing, and that really should change. You shouldn't be able to sign your name on a... $100 million deal, $50 million deal, $1 million deal, whatever it may be. And then as soon as you put your name on that document, just turn into a mob boss, and then there's nothing the team could do about it. So it's a shame. Marcel Zuna, I used to be a big fan, used to be. And even if you come back and even if you play with the Braves, I'm never going to look at you the same. There's no place in our world for that type of behavior, man. Just, just get the heck out. I hope that the Braves release him in short order. The NBA playoffs are a rocking and a rolling, and it is my favorite time of the year. As you guys know, I'm a huge basketball fan. So much has changed since the last time we talked. When we were recording this regularly, I was dead red. Houston Rockets red. James Harden this. Russell Westbrook that. My God, how the world of basketball has changed in just the last couple of months. James Harden is now a Brooklyn Net, part of a lineup that is just an absolute wrecking ball the nets improved to 3-1 in their series over boston their big three of kevin durant james harden and kyrie irving combined for more than 100 points last night the team scored 140 plus points last night they shot better than 55 percent from the field it's going to be like I, i get it the Nets don't have a whole lot of time together on the floor. That's that's a, a, a negative. Very few NBA teams that don't have a lot of on-floor chemistry ever actually win the NBA championship. I get it. I also understand the Nets don't play a whole lot of defense all the time. When they want to, they could do it, and they could do it pretty well, but they don't do it consistently. They don't do it often because they're infatuated with getting their own offense. I get it. But who else in the NBA is going to be capable of scoring 150 points a game to beat them four out of seven times? The answer to that is probably very few teams. And, you know, what's also ironic is that if the Nets are going to win the championship, which I think they're the overwhelming favorites to do so, we're going to hear all of these stories from national media about how James Harden changed his game and has evolved his role and has become a different basketball player in Brooklyn. No, he ain't. Like, okay, he he gets assists now. He had 18 assists last night. Dude, he led the league in assists when he was in Houston. He always was an 8 to 10 assist a game guy. He's always been a willing passer. He's always been a brilliant passer. He's always been an excellent playmaker. The only difference is instead of passing the ball to P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon, who are going to miss the three-pointer now, he's passing it to Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, who are going to make the shot and give him the assist. That's the only thing that's changed. 
His game hasn't changed a, a lick. The way he plays has not changed a lick. The difference is now he's just got better personnel around him, which is back to the original argument that I've always made about Harden is that people are so hard on him. Man, he's a choke artist in the playoffs, bro. He was losing to the Golden State Warriors, which were maybe the best team in NBA history. He was losing to teams that had far more talent than he did. At best, the Rockets always only had just one other all-star player, Chris Paul, Dwight Howard. And those are fringe all-star guys, like guys that are barely making the all-star team. And he's going seven games with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. The fact that those series were even competitive shows the dominance of that individual player. I think the Nets are going to roll through the East. Though I do, look, I'll concede this, the Bucks have been playing well. That's going to be their likely next-round opponent, assuming they could finish the Boston series. Um, that'll be a great series. That'll, that might even be the NBA championship series for my dollar, because I think those are probably the two best teams. But I just think it's laughable. You hear all this commentary about how James Harden has changed his game. He has elevated his level of play. He has evolved his game. No, man, you just hadn't been watching. And, and you know, it, it's we, we value winning and losing as such a concrete measure of who a player is. Um like the 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 guys with the best teams are the ones who are going to win the championships and the rockets never had the best team and in many instances never even had close to the best team so it is what it is i think the neds do have the best team now and i do think that they're going to win it all one thing that's intriguing man is that the nba's western conference playoffs are a complete mess the Suns and the Lakers are the series that everyone's focused in on right now because the assumption was going to be that the Lakers were going to flip this light switch, get healthy, and roll through the playoffs even though they were a seven seed. Well, we get into the playoffs. We're now four games into that series. It's tied 2-2. Two to two. Reports are that Anthony Davis isn't going to play game five. The Lakers are just as beat up just as nicked up as they were in the regular season. And they're scratching and clawing to beat a Phoenix team that's equally dinged up because Chris Paul hasn't been healthy since the first quarter of that series. The Lakers are going to be hard-pressed to make it out of the West, y'all. They're going to be hard-pressed to make it out of the West. But the, the issue and the reason why they may end up ultimately doing it is that who's better? Like the whole West right now is down. And I know it sounds like an anti-LeBron hater thing to say is like all because the, the argument his entire career was man he's doing it in the east but like the west is weak right now the suns are the two seed chris paul's playing on one arm the three seed are the nuggets they're without jamal murray who's maybe their best scorer and was their catalyst in the bubble last year portland's number six they don't play a and not even any semblance of defense at all we know what they are by now the Clippers are kind of a mess. Dallas, Porzingis, and Doncic are kind of nicked up. The Jazz, Donovan Mitchell's already missed a game in that opening round series. They're kind of beat up. And does anybody really believe that the Jazz of all teams are going to be the team that represents the West in the finals? That's a, that's a core group of Gobert and Mitchell that have, um, for years now, for the last three, four years now, have routinely gotten into the playoffs and have gagged. So the West is wide open, and I don't know who's going to come out of it, 
But I think the three best teams in the NBA are all in the East. I think the Nets, the Bucks, and the 76ers are the three best teams in the NBA. Now, I'll grant you this. The bottom of the Western Conference, like the middle of the pack, the teams, you know, the, the Dallases of the world, the Grizzlies, all those teams, that's far better than any of the trash that's at the bottom of the East. You know, the Wizards, uh, even the Celtics, uh, the Heat, those teams, like they're, they were midway into the offseason before the playoffs even started. So like the bottom of the West is far superior. The Western Conference has far more depth than the Eastern Conference does. Teams like the Pelicans and that who missed the postseason, the Spurs, they would contend for postseason in the East. There's no doubt about that. But the top of the Eastern Conference, I think, is far stronger than the top of the Western Conference. And we're looking forward to seeing how that all shakes out. Now, a couple of final points. These incidents in the NBA where people are throwing stuff at guys and dumping popcorn on guys and spitting on guys and throwing water bottles at guys. If you're going to an NBA game or a sporting event, like we didn't have those privileges as a country for a whole year. Like an entire year, we were locked out of a lot of stuff. And then the the second that we are able to get back, we're having incident on top of incident on top of incident. Like fans need to respect the game, the performer, the venue, and more importantly than that, like themselves. Like, you wouldn't go to Walmart and not like the way that the cashier is ringing up your groceries and then throw a water bottle at their head. You wouldn't go to uh, the doctor's office or the pharmacy and not like the speed with which the clerk is filling your medication and then spit on them as a result. You wouldn't go to the movie theater and not like the way that the couple three seats away from you are watching the movie or maybe texting while the movie's going on, then take your bucket of popcorn and just dump it on top of their head. You wouldn't do those things in quote-unquote normal society So why in God's name do you think it's okay to do that to these professional athletes who are also human beings? Like, where's that disconnect where we think that's okay to do at a sporting event? And I get it. There's some emotions involved. Fans is short for fanatical. I get it. I also get it. There's some alcohol involved. People are drinking and partying and Doing all sorts of nonsense and, and buffoonery and debauchery at sporting events. I get it. I've partaken in those types of things in the past myself. But one thing I've never done is dump popcorn on an NBA player's head. I've never thrown a water bottle at an NBA player's head. I've never spit on an NBA player at an NBA venue. Very easy. Just don't act like a, an asshole. Like, it's very, like, life is very basic. Like, like the, the, the keys to life, we, we tend to really overstate how difficult it is to get by successfully in life. Like we t- we tend to make these complex 
plans and oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and the keys to happiness are this, this, and this and it's a 20-point bulleted list. Like, truly, the one of the biggest things that every human could do better is just be more decent, be more kind, and perhaps more bluntly put, be an asshole a little bit less often. Like, if we all just did that and, and turned our our uh, you know, douchebag meter down just 20% and we're just a little bit more patient and just listened a little bit better and we're just a little bit more tolerant. Life would be so much better and so much easier. People would feel so much more welcomed and so much more loved. There's absolutely no reason, given the period with which we are in in the world, that anyone should be throwing anything at anyone at a sporting event. It's a game you want to win. I get it. 600,000 Americans died of the coronavirus. The fact that we are even able to go to these games is flipping unbelievable, the progress that we have made. Don't take that for granted. If you're alive and you're blessed and you're healthy and you're able to go to these games, man, you are so lucky compared to so many others who are not as lucky. Don't abuse the privileges. Don't be a jerk, man. Like, we need to really move past those types of incidents. It's just a horrible look. Got on my soapbox there, and this segment has run longer than what I hoped that it would. Um, Had a few folks on Twitter troll me and say, hey, are you going to talk about the AEW pay-per-view? No, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I saw they got Mark Henry. That's cool. He was good like 15 years ago. Add him to the big show who was good 10, 15 years ago. Add him to Sting who was good 20 years ago. Man, that's a hell of a roster if this is 1995. Um, All kidding aside, you guys trolled me on social media. I'm going to troll you back. Reports were the pay-per-view is pretty good. I'll probably break it down and, and get back into talking wrestling here in the coming episodes. But I'm running long, and I said these episodes would only be a little more than an hour, and we're already running more than an hour. So I'm going to have to put a bow in it right here. Sincere thanks to our guest, Miles Mathern and Rattlesnake Dre. Sincere thanks to everybody for all of the warm messages over the last several months, you guys. I've wanted to record. Now, for a while, I was trying to figure out how to get back in. We're going to try to be on a more regular schedule. I love you guys so much. God bless. I hope you have an amazing week. This is going to drop on Memorial Day afternoon. So in the process of cooking your, you know, barbecue and, you know, spending time with family and cutting up and playing cornhole and hanging out by the pool, take also a little bit of time to reflect on the reason why this is a holiday, the reason why we're off on this Monday, because the true reason is because there have been hundreds of thousands of Americans, probably in the millions, I don't know the specific stat, but over the years, over the hundreds of years of this country, who have lost their lives defending our freedom. So just take a little bit of time, maybe close your eyes, say a little prayer, whatever it may be, that their souls may be at peace and may be at joy on this amazing day. We'll be back soon. God bless everybody. Have a great long weekend and short work week. Love you guys. You've been listening to Pages Corner. We'll be back in a couple of days.